Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome back for another exciting episode of Geeking In, the 2020 version of a block party, uh, us all sitting indoors, locked away from the world, listening to podcasts. Um, I am your host, Jay, and with me, as always, is uh, our very own Tony Stark. Uh, you right, T? All right, Jay. How's it going? Not bad, not bad at all. Um we are a man down uh, this week. Um, our other regular hero has been called away by the Bat Signal to fight the biggest supervillain of the 21st century so far, uh, COVID-19. Um, so uh, B, our Mr. Fantastic, is uh, currently quarantined in the negative zone, um, but we will uh, be hearing from him uh, throughout. I thought that we'd keep the Mr. Fantastic theme going there, you see. Very good. Very, very good. I'm sure he appreciate that when he listens back to this. Um, but uh, yeah, get well soon too. Uh, B, we'll, um, we'll be hearing from him throughout the episode, but uh, hopefully he will be back next week, rested and ready to go. Um, so I thought, as always, we'd start with some of the new stuff that's, that's caught my eye. Um, and the first thing that jumped out at me was uh, Zack Snyder doing a watch long for Batman versus Superman dawn of justice um in it he talked about the martha moment um mm. that moment where uh batman and superman stop fighting because superman says martha um and he says that it's really it's really the whole concept of the branding of the criminals the idea was that batman had lost his own moral compass and had become what he beheld the whole idea of this movie is to create this arc where Batman confronts Superman's humanity, that he finds himself again. That's why the thesis of this thing is that we're all human, even and that we're all connected. We all connect on, on a level. Our mothers have the same name. That's really sort of fundamental. We both have a mother, so we both have, are human. Even though Superman is from another planet, his connection to humanity is so clean that Batman is able to re-energize himself. What I what I read between those sentences is one day Zack Snyder picked up one of the comics and noticed they were both called Martha and went, oh my God, no one's done this yet. What a genius I am. Guess what? This is going to be the central point of my movie. And then he went away and wrote all this other stuff to cover it. He went on, he was saying at um, a different meeting at um, Pasadena Arts Center College of Design, he said it's funny because... We, uh, sc screenwriter Chris Terrier and I, we did reach that point in the movie, in our discussions, where we knew how to get them to fight, but how do you get them to stop fighting? That's the tough one. I mean, sort of we're thrown, throwing down on their humanity, and Batman realises that Superman has humanity. He's not just a creature, he's a man. He's an alien, but he is as human as, in a lot of ways, he's more human than him. He sort of embraced all the good parts of the human race. So Batman's able to sort of see in a lot of ways and think that he's not. I think that I disagree. he is not. I disagree they got to the point uh, where how to get them to fight. The job of the storyteller there is to create the real conflict, right? And yeah. the conflict will, will then will result in a battle. Yeah. There was no, I mean, you know, that whole conflict could have been avoided if Superman were a little bit closer to Batman actually whispered, hey, dude, this is what's actually going on. 
the whole thing around the conflict is they weren't really talking. It, it's that kind of classic 90s action movie thing about, oh, God, if only they had mobile phones, this whole thing would have been sorted. It's, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting because I can kind of see where he's going because the whole thing of, of Batman's beef with Superman was he's a god. He's, he's super, super powerful. And, you know, who watches the Watchmen? Who, who's going to police this superhuman? And I understand that. But my, my issue with Batman in this film, and I thought, I thought Ben Affleck did really well in it, but my issue with Batman in this film was he was very quick to um, fight. We didn't see the world's greatest detective. We didn't see the, this brilliant strategist we saw someone with, with weapons and armor. Again, because I think that that conflict was a little bit, was a little bit thin. So, you know, they had to get into the fight so they couldn't really explore it. I mean, if you think back to um, the, the 2012 Avengers film, right? Now you, you have to have a scene with um, Captain America and Thor and Iron Man having a fight with each other. And again, it was, you know, it was fairly weak, but it was only a quick fight. It was, yes. you know, it was a quick little battle and they figured it out and they got on with it. This was the whole central point of the movie. You needed a deeper reason to have that battle, uh, especially in terms of Superman fighting back, as opposed to I'm just sort of defending myself trying to get through it. You know? Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it's it's still a very convoluted point for me. I, I, it still feels very squeezed for me. Um, you have to have them fight because you've called the film Batman versus Superman. Mm. Um and you have to have them fight because at some point Zack Snyder may have read um, Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns. And even with, I mean, you know, I was just going to say, so they've fought many times in the comics and there's been lots of different reasons. He could have pulled from there, uh, you know, p- pulled a much better story. In fact, go straight from Dark Knight Returns. You know, you've decided to go with this older Batman. You haven't really utilised the older Batman, um, except maybe... I guess justifying why your Clark Kent wore a cape back in um, in in uh, Superman in in Man of Steel. Maybe he was emulating Batman. I guess for me, the other point on this is this point of Superman being the best of us, the most human of all humans. This beacon of hope. You know, he could be he could be our omnipotent God King, but actually, you know, he's he's he protects us all. Mm-hmm. is really, really valid, except I've not seen any of that in Man of Steel. I don't feel like I've seen any of Superman in any of the three films that he's been in. Henry Cavill is ridiculously underutilised, despite being yeah. in three films. Yeah, and, and you know, this is the thing. I don't think Man of Steel did a very good job of showing me that he's the best of us. Mm-hmm. And it's that Boy Scout element that I know is problematic in these films. Um, which is funny because I think Captain America did it really, really well. Um, yeah, you can it right. Captain America's proof of that. You know, not to not to spoil a conversation we may have on a future podcast, but I was kind of thinking about you know films we would recommend if no one had ever seen anything. Mm-hmm. And what I was thinking of was Captain America: The First Avenger, because you know it's a fairly human story, and for me the the moment of Captain America all the way through is the point where Steve Rogers before um, before the super serum jumps on the grenade. 
Yes, absolutely right. And just that, that absolute selflessness, you know, that get knocked down time, t- ten, nine times, get up 10, throw himself on the grenade, you know, just just the, the, the best guy. Yeah. And you can see that through Captain America in every single film. You know, I can do this all day. Mm-hmm. You know, it comes up, up and up and up and again to the point where it's one of the biggest laugh in, in Endgame because yes. you've got, you know, Cap of, of the future kind of, you know, I know. Yeah, brilliant, yeah. brilliant point. But that point of you're never going to beat me into submission. I'm, I'm always going to stand up because that's what a good person does. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never got that from Man of Steel. You know, the closest you got from Superman was, um, you know, I have to keep all of this a secret and, you know, it's all a bit weird. And let my father die. Because he to asked keep me the to. Secret. Yeah. What was that all about? That's not the strength of his character either. I mean, that's another strange moment that just, it's an inconsistent character with, with a largely inconsistent arc. I agree. I, 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 I yeah. Um, one other thing that Zack Snyder has recently uh, confirmed is uh, what was a long suspected rumor, and that's General Swan- Swanwick from The Man of Steel um, was due to actually be confirmed as the Martian Manhunter in a later film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you, you kind of get the impression he could be, seemed to understand um, who Superman was, um, but uh, this allegedly was going to be set up for payoff down the line where General Swanwick was uh, confirmed to be John Jones, the Martian Manhunter. How would you have oh. felt about that reveal? I mean, I'll be honest. I was losing track with these films anyway. You know, just just having everyone show up in in little video clips in um, in Batman v Superman. You know, uh, uh, it's just another scene. I don't care. I'm glad Snyder's off of it. Uh, you know, just restart the whole universe. I, I'd lost interest by the time I by the time I left Batman vs Superman. It, it's been a struggle to watch any other DC expanded universe film. So it's funny you should mention the video clips because the last thing is Jason Momoa and his Trident, which um, was the video clip that Lex Luthor had managed to find um, <laughs> and had kept, and Batman had stolen. Uh, from him in Batman versus Superman uh, and didn't seem to work with the backstory of Aquaman um, because of, of his trying to earn his, his right uh, to be, to use the tridents. Um, So what, is it just another, another trident? uh, Well, so Snyder explains that the concept here was that he, he had his, and to me it was that he was probably trained with his mother's trident a couple of times with Volko, uh, but he wasn't keeping it himself. Mm-hmm. So Volko kept the trident with him, and as needed, if they were training or whatever, he would get it for him. Uh, but he'd always give it back, but he never took it up to, as a real, like a real mantle. Okay. These again sound like ideas that were thought through afterwards, not sort of things yeah. that were really. So, let's be for honest. me, that sounds very much like a um, uh, a retrofit of the story. I, I yeah. think he's he's um, reverse engineered that one. Yeah, um, personally. I mean, there's an interesting so, thing thinking about Manhunter being in, in in Man of Steel. 
Remember watching uh, Suicide Squad? Convinced the whole way through, Scott Eastwood's Scott Eastwood's character was going to end up being Nightwing. And I'm not sure if this is just sort of you know rumors I've read. But I'm pretty good at not sort of picking up on spoilers and things before going into a film. But just waiting for this kind of reveal to happen, and then you know they've got Batman in the film, and therefore clearly Nightwing's about to show up, and it's going to be a, a, a payoff to this character. But there was absolutely nothing. And actually, that's the one thing I want to know. What was the actual plan with Scott Eastwood's character? Or actually, was he just stuck in there for no apparent reason? Very possibly. Very possibly. Um, I, I can't say. I will, I will investigate, but um, I cannot say I have anything to add to that. So with all of these kind of explanations of Batman versus Superman and um, some of the other parts, um, are you clamoring for the Snyder Cut? Oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. <laughs> I was never going... I mean, what decent film has he made? It's bizarre. The whole campaign is insane to me that people are convinced that he's going to come out with this amazing film, that he had this amazing film idea. Who loved Man of Steel that much? Or, um, or Sucker Punch? I mean, Jesus. It's insane. People have been hiring planes and, like, banners to fly in the sky saying... Yes, they have. Billboards what? in Times Square. What? What? I mean, for a long time, I was really convinced this is just a joke and the internet's all playing along and it's great and it's all, you know, we're laughing at each other for it. And then I started to think, no, it's real. And then um, uh, Gal Gadot's um, uh, Instagram, I think, she, she hashtag released the spider yeah. and so did Affleck, I think. Yeah. Bizarre. There is I, no decent Snyder cut out there. I, I, I... Uh... I would be interested to see it just because, I, as I as we talked about last week, I'm interested in all of these kind of alternate takes sure. of films. Sure. Um, I can't see how what Justice League was missing was another 16 different storylines, characters, and another big bad because the big bad wasn't actually the real big bad. He was the precursor to the real big bad. Um <laughs> Uh, it it was convoluted. And, and, you know, I think Snyder does some very interesting things with his films. I think visually he does some very interesting films. Um, but... I agree. Um, Vis- visually amazing. You know, he, he he is ideally suited to bring, you know, page to screen. I think uh, 300, a great sign of that. Yeah. And actually, you know, talking about Batman Superman, and, you know, as you, as you flick through the pages of Dark Knight Returns and the clips that he brought up, brought up you know, you could pause pretty much any second of a, of a Snyder film and that's your desktop wallpaper. It's beautiful. Yes. You know, you're not going to see that comic book come to life any better than him. But that's a good cinematographer. That's not a great storyteller. No, I, mean, I think Justice that's fair. Justice League wasn't a good film. And, and um, you know, that, that blame has been laid at Joss Whedon and it's been laid at the studio. But I think it just started with being it was a complete mess to start with. And they did what they could to tidy it up and make it some kind of film. And for some reason, keep it under two hours. That was insane as well. You know, one hour, 59 minutes and 59 seconds, something ridiculous that it was. Um, but it wasn't building up to be a good story. No. You know? I mean, they had a whole bunch of reshoots even before Snyder stepped down where um, uh, they had some studio execs come in and see it and they liked the flash scenes. Uh, and they said, all right, we're going to just pump it, pop up the flash dialogue and make it happier and uh, and sort of, you know, more pleasant as a film. But Snyder is not a good storyteller. And giving him charge of the whole DC universe off the back of 
Man of Steel was insane anyway. That's a really strange approach. I think they've always been desperate for that that singular vision, that showrunner style vision that that Marvel has done so very well with with uh, Kevin Feige. Mm. But yeah, again, you know, I, I I don't know what Zack Snyder does that gives you that faith in in everything into him to the point where actually he ends up taking away some of the best parts of some of the other films and because of the way he's doing them kind of takes away from that. So, you know, the Amazons in justice league just looked so much more B movie and titillation compared to how you saw them in wonder woman. Um, And last week you were talking about, you know, how, how wonder woman in the Batman versus Superman and justice league films was far more kind of dragged into your 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 upskirt shots and all the rest of it, rather than you know this powerful warrior like mm-hmm. she was in her own film. So it is interesting. I, I don't know why that's the voice that you decided to kind of absolutely double down on. Um, He's also taken away stories that just won't be told for a very long time now. Yes. I mean, we're not going to get a Dark Knight Returns or a Death of Superman or a Return of Superman and all of these stories that are really like amazing stories. And I think that was my... Story. I remember when we were talking about this originally I, after Justice League had just come out, and I think one of the things I was hugely lamenting more than anything was just how many stories that you could have built to, you could have made films around, you mm-hmm. burnt through in one go. So, yeah. you know, you've got you've got the Trinity. You've got Batman versus Superman. You've got Batman. Uh, you've got Superman and Lex Luthor. You've got all of these things. Plus, you've got the death of Superman. Plus, you've got Doomsday. Plus, you've got the formation of the Justice League. All in the same two and a half hours. Yeah, and you're kind of sitting there going, "That's that's, you know, probably five films that you could have made out of that." You, you that's could have. Awesome. 70 years worth of comics you've just yeah. Done, you know? yeah yeah it's insane um so it, it was a very weird I, I i think i think um when it comes to Zack snyder um i think don't think it's less is more i just think more is more mm. and and i think that that's kind of one of the the things that i struggle with his his DC version. So, whilst I would love to watch it just to see, just to see it, just just to see what the different vision of it was, um, with the Green Lantern and with the you know, Martian Manhunter and with everyone else, um, no part of me thinks that we're missing out on a cinema great in this. Um, one other thing that, yeah. that was recently coming through is uh, you know an end to a cinema great was The Rise of Skywalker, the last in the Skywalker saga. Mm. Um, And uh, recently, uh, and again, there's another link because uh, the script was rewritten by Chris Terrio, who was the the, the screenwriter for Batman vs. Superman. Um, Whilst we wait for the final theatrical version of The Rise of Skywalker uh, to be released on home video, um, which is about now, I think, um, an animated incarnation of Colin Trevorrow's original plans for episode nine, titled The Jewel of Fates, has surfaced online. It's been posted by Australian entertainment news site Mr. Sunday Movies and is an animated short narrated by the site's founder, James Clement, 
and recreates Trevorrow's script and concept art that leaked online shortly after the Rise of Skywalker's release. Confirmed to be genuine by Trevorrow himself, Duel of Fates was a considerably different end to the Skywalker saga than the J.J. Abrahams' Rise of Skywalker, with the filmmaker completely rewriting Trevorrow's script um, following his departure in 2017. Um, this will be up on our Twitter, at Geeking in Pod, uh, for you to all see and take into your own uh, interpretation. But T, I sent this throw for you to have a look. How did you feel about the Duel of Fates? So before we talk about that, I think we need to go back a little bit and talk about um, Force Awakens, Last Jedi, and and kind of build to this almost, <laughs> right? <laughs> because Force Awakens, right, blew us both away. We know that we've had that conversation. I don't think they had a clue about where they were going with any of it. I think J.J. Abrams knew how to build a mystery. I mean, you know, you've seen Lost, you know what he's doing. He can set up all these things. I don't think he had a planned payoff. And then we go to Last Jedi uh, with Ryan Johnson. And I know you and I absolutely loved Last Jedi, as did B. Um, and I, of course, there was all this controversy on the internet and all, all this kind of, you know, push to try, try and ruin its score on Rotten Tomatoes and all that kind of nonsense there. Um, but there suddenly there was a plan. Uh, firstly, what it did is it subverted all the expectations from the previous film, which was great because you spent was uh, two years, you know, having the film in your head and, and the kind of next steps in your head, and it was nothing that was expected, and that was amazing, and it kind of really affected fan culture and all that stuff. Um, but it also very clearly had a theme of hope building, a hope of, you know, anyone could be a Jedi and it doesn't really matter who you are or on your lineage and all that stuff. And it had a really positive message and a much sort of cleaner way of feeding through. And that's where we get to this uh, uh, Colin uh, Trevorrow script. It really did feed through beautifully and it felt like a trilogy. Um, so I rewatched Last Jedi uh, for the first time since uh, watching Rise of Skywalker this week. It took me seven attempts. That's no, that's nothing to do with the film. It's to do with being in quarantine with my two children. Um, but by the end of attempt seven, managed to get through it. God, it's an amazing film, and God, it's so sad knowing that the canon story following is a uh, Rise of Skywalker. So you look, oh, oh yeah. Yeah, so um, I love Force Awakens. Um, it is such an amazing story. It's such a brilliant reboot without it making obvious it's the reboot. I mean, you know, beat for beat, it's the same as New Hope, really, but it's just brilliantly done. It's got enough nostalgia there to keep me... Um, uh, you know, to keep me smiling. It's got what um, Mark Bernardin on um, uh, Fat Man Beyond has, has described as Star Wars moments. He judges Star Wars films by Star Wars moments. Those kind of hairs on the back of your neck as something happens and the music swells kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, Force Awakens has some really, really good ones of that. You know, There's something chewy. great about repeating the beats of uh, A New Hope anyway, just because it is such just classic hero's journey. Yes. That, you know, even outside of Star Wars, it's repeated everywhere and, and also is repeating old stories. You know, um, I was I, I tell a version of Star Wars to my daughter as a bedtime story, and she recently said this is just a Moana story. And of course it is. It's the same <laughs> story. <laughs> and it is. You, yeah, I mean, you've, you've, you've hit it right on the head. You know, George Lucas was a big fan of the hero's journey. Mm -hmm. Um 
and beat for beat, you can see that go through. You know, in the, the, the second act, he will meet the the wise old wizard who will help him and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, it, it is beat for beat, exactly what it is. Um, and, and Force Awakened, again, works for me on that point. Um, you know, the, the lines that come through and, you know, those, those moments that resonate, you know, that first time that you see Han and Chewie and they step on and, you know, Chewie were home and things like that. And then the, the lightsaber flying through and, and landing into Ray's hand at the fight at the end. Um, you know, they're all just brilliant. And, the, the, you know, I, I, I loved Force Awakens. I loved Last Jedi because I loved Force Awakens because it was everything that I wanted from a Star Wars film. Mm-hmm. After, after after thirty odd before. years of yeah, yes, yeah. I loved Last Jedi because it was nothing that I knew I wanted from a Star Wars film. Fantastic um, way of putting it. I I loved the fact that that story was growing, that, mm-hmm. that we had to these new people, that we were going in a different direction, um, that um, you know that that this was something different to what we'd see. Um, I've grown up in you know what was the extended universe is now kind of well was kind of the yeah um all of the non-canon stuff of you know knights of the old republic and um you know jedi outcast and you know, the, the books and the comics and all of this and you know mara jade and you know jonah sono and jason solo and you know all of these so the mm-hmm. idea of of there being this entire world of jedi and sith whose surname isn't Skywalker, mm-hmm. I like. And, and this fact that it could be anywhere and it doesn't actually matter who you are and where you're from. You don't have to be from a great lineage to do something incredible. I mean, and, part of walking out of Star Wars is, you know, trying to make the door open with your force powers. It's standing at the tube going, oh, I did that. You know, that's part of the, just the play that it gives you. To take that away from you, saying, no, no, it's a lineage thing. God, no. Yeah, um, and I do think that a lot of the, I, you know, I, I don't think it's a perfect film. I know that that B disagrees with me on this. Um, I don't think it was a perfect film. Uh, the Canto Bite stuff for me wasn't needed. Mm. Um, uh, the, um, the so on on my rewatch, the Canto Bite stuff felt a lot shorter than I remembered it on my previous watches. Um, I don't know if I'm just shrinking it because, you know, in my mind, I just wanted to get through it. But I remember thinking, God, this is going on forever and it's not helping the story. Yeah. And I just thought, no, it's, it's, it's fine. It's just a little bit on the side. It's OK. And, um, you know, I didn't I didn't need the ethics lesson of, you know, good guys, bad guys. They're all buying weapons. Yeah. You know, I, I, I kind of see what they're trying to do in regards to the shades of grey. But we're in a world where you've clearly defined the good guys and the bad guys. The fact that, you know, that's morally questionable depending on where you stand is, is a different thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, no, I adored it. I, I, I loved it. I loved the, the fact that Poe was this ridiculous hothead who was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was all, and, and, you know, it's, it's their own hubris that ends up kind of getting in so much trouble because, you know, they were so desperate to trying to do anything else, they almost blew everyone else up. Yeah. Um, I didn't mind Luke not physically fighting Kylo Ren. I God, think it the was fact... The... Go ahead. 
But it, it was the perfect ending for Luke not to actually physically be there and fighting. You know, the, the, the spiritual I, journey. Yeah, and I think that the because the well, the whole thing is why didn't he turn up and fight? And I think that even if he'd done the Ben thing of you know letting himself get struck down. I think the the ego of the self-proclaimed supreme leader after striking down Snoke, I think he would have worn killing Luke like a badge of honor mm. rather than being outthought, outfoxed, and you know, just driven to frustration by this distraction overall. Um and his own, you know, his own ego getting in his way. Um yeah. And I think that was a far better thing and just showed how powerful he was mm-hmm. compared to you know, him just rocking up at the last minute, especially if he's going to then die. Yeah. Um, you know, if he's going to be the, 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 the most powerful Jedi in the galaxy, then surely none of those can touch him. Yeah. Um, and if he's going to just get struck down by, by Kylo Ren in the same way of Obi-Wan, then absolutely every single person will just scream, you've just copied that from Star Wars, from the new Absolutely. Right. absolutely. Um, so then that brings us on to The Rise of Skywalker, which I didn't mind. Um, I, I have only, I've only seen it once, which is quite telling. Yeah. Um, I will obviously watch it again. Um, it just felt... I, I, I really didn't like Solo. Solo is, for me, one of the lowest of the Star Wars films. Again, watched it once, never watched it again. We'll watch it again mm. at some point, but I never had that urge of, do you know what I fancy putting, putting on? Let's just put that on kind of thing. Mm. And mm. one of my things on that is my theory on this still is that that is the antithesis of what we saw in The Last Jedi in the sense mm. that there was so much of a call out of, you know, who Snoke, it doesn't matter. Who's mm-hmm. Ray's parents? It doesn't matter. That's not the story we're telling. The story we're telling is, here's Ray. She's powerful. She's going to re- resurrect everything. Um, you know, old terminology, old kind of what we've seen over the last seven films doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than, you know, Anakin's grandchildren and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, and because of the fan backlash on that, the calls for that to be, you know, redone and re-edited and, you know, look to have a better death and not be a grouchy old man and all the rest of it. Um, and and what stunned me is, is all of those people had obviously not seen Empire Strikes Back because that's exactly what Yoda was. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the cantankerous, he's lived on his own, on his own for years in exile you know, if you want this, then I need to prove because I know all the power and the pain that goes with yeah. this. You know, that, that kind of burden of being the last of his kind kind of thing. Um, but uh, there was such a fan backlash that for me, Solo is fan-pleasing to the point where it's saturated and just overly fan-pleasing. And that's for me what also kind of then tricked into last Sky, Sky, Rise of Skywalker, with with kind of you know we need no we need a better ending for this and we need to bring this back and we need to work out how this works and blah blah blah. Um. So I thought that the 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 Jewel of Fates video was really interesting because it is a very different telling of it. 
So I agree. Uh, so Solo, yeah, is also my my least favorite. Um, the prequels were sort of hard to watch at the time, but I also appreciate that the whole generation of people and where the prequels are there, Star Wars, and that that's what they've grown up with, and that's quite exciting, you know, bringing them in. And, and I also appreciate that's hard for them sometimes to then watch the original trilogy afterwards because it's a lot slower and very different pace. Um, slow, what Solo did is it just took the mystery out of stuff. The thing I hated the most about Solo was seeing um, the 12 parsecs being yep. real, the Kessel yep. Run, you know, because I just loved that it was wrong. I loved that the whole measurement was wrong and clearly Han Solo is just full of bullshit yeah. and it's great and he's just lying his way through and suddenly, no, it's all happened and it's all happened over the course of a weekend and it's done and, and we've yeah. seen it all. It's nonsense. Um, and the mystery is gone. And that is sort of what um, um, uh, Force Awakens, uh, sorry, um, A Rise of Skywalker does as well. It took away, you know, th- this this broad world, this kind of world where your imagination can just go away and it, and it grows and it's still happening. And you just gave this really just, you know, specific thing of story. Um, but yeah, the, the Trevor stuff, I feel like it's a really good follow-on from um, Last Jedi. It makes the whole, the three of them feel like um, a trilogy, and I think, and it's hard to tell just from you know from Mr. Sunday movie sort of so quick video, and, and I, I do want to read the whole script, um, but I think it does feel like the whole the three trilogies together will hold together in one nice chain. There, you know, that's something you could watch, not in chronological order, but in you know nine films back to back, and have something from it. Yeah, and also a looping off point for the world beyond this, whereas at the moment there isn't that. Mm. Um, you're you're kind of hamstrung going forward on it because there's you've you've kind of boxed yourself into a corner of you know there's 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 just this part. if you want to talk about Star Wars in going beyond the first M- first order then these are the six people you need to talk about because this is the only person who can use a lightsaber yeah. um, and her name happens to be Skywalker. Um, yeah. So it is very, you know, I think there were some weird decisions on it. Um, so rewatching the the last Jedi since then, you can see somehow some of the things have passed through. So the whole, you know, uh, the, them being able to pass items through their their mental link, their force link. Yeah. Uh, there was that moment in Last Jedi where the water splashed on Ray, and then um, uh, Kylo Ren's hand was wet, and he thought, okay, that's a feed through. Um, so there's, there are some really nice things that do feed through. And, and also looking at the Travara video, you could see, right, clearly some ideas made it through to that, through yes. to the film that we got in the end. Um, but a lot of it, it just came out of nowhere. And it just felt like five different films strung together, um, written by not two people, but five different people, all just kind of throwing ideas out of the wall and saying, yeah, yeah, this has some payoff, this has some payoff, oh, yeah. You know, I mean, the concept of just putting the Emperor's message on Fortnite? Who came up with that? How is that going to go down in history? That's that's a marketing rather than a storytelling beat. Yeah. And that's Disney the machine rather than Disney the production company. Um, and it is, it's an interesting one. It's, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a very bizarre set up but um yeah i mean it's, it's definitely worth a watch um 
there were some points in it I really loved. There were some points in it that, that had me scratching my head a little bit. You know, we talk about that symmetry with other films and the homages to other films. The the whole Kylo Ren going to see Palpatine's master, who's this creature that lives in a bog, and then as part of his training, he has to go into a cave where he fights Darth Vader. Mm. All sounds very familiar. Yep. Um. So yeah, I, I it was it was it was interesting. Um, also, is it been not in that movie at all? Yeah. Okay. Has has any news? So James, just because you know, I know you keep up with this stuff an awful lot more. Have we found out what Finn's big secret was that he had to tell Ray and never did? So the the story online, and and, and this is the thing: you, you to get the impression of this, you almost have to watch and read and listen to, and and you know, there's so much that has come out afterwards in the Visual Dictionary and in things like that rather than than actually being said on, in the actual film which is what you'd need um so for instance the the suggestion that and i can't remember her name the 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 woman who was supporting finn the ex-stormtrooper um who has this very awkward moment with lando at the very end um that is suggested in the visual dictionary that actually that could very much well be Lando's daughter because the First Order um, uh, stole firstborn children to, to indoctrinate into being their stormtroopers and they aimed for the old leaders of the rebellion as part of their kind of, you know, and don't step to us again. So Lando's daughter was stolen by the First Order to become a stormtrooper, which is why he has that, let's find out because you might be my daughter. Rather than how it came across as a film, is let's found out because I'm an old man who's a bit of a player. Yeah. And also because everyone in Star Wars is now related. Yes, there is that. So um, the the story from people who worked on the script was that um, Finn's secret that he wanted to declare was that he was Force-sensitive or felt he was Force-sensitive and therefore wanted to, to be trained. Um, and it's hinted at in a few things of Finn having a hunch or having a feeling about mm. things. Um, but it's hinted at, uh, and it's, it's one of those kind of, if it, if it doesn't happen on screen, does it really happen? Well, yeah. Um, again, how did they finish? How did they put that film out there without someone going, Hey, Hey, we've not paid that off yet. I I think again this is a misreading of the room. So I think they thought people would be would enjoy the ambiguity of um, the love triangle and is Finn trying to tell Ray that he loves her, um, mm-hmm. and and is Poe interrupting because Poe's got something for Finn. Um, yeah. And I, I think there was a degree of they wanted to leave it out there because people can fill in the gaps, mm. which is fine, except very frustrating. Yeah. Because I don't want you to invite me to make a better film for you. Yeah. You know, I, if, there's, if there's something on here that's a plot point, then I'd like you to tell me about it rather yeah. than tell me about it afterwards. Yeah. And if it is designed to be ambiguous, 
you know, then say it. You know, maybe he was going to tell her that she he was he was force sensitive. Maybe he was going to tell her that he had feelings for her. Maybe he was going to tell her that he had feelings for Poe or Chewbacca or Rose or you know any of that. Um, tell your story. Tell the movie in the movie. You yeah. know what the the lasting piece of media is going to be the movie. You know, 30 years from now, people are still going to be watching these films, but all they're going to watch are those minutes on screen. and They'll have no clue what's going on because well, they won't have the visual dictionary and they won't be playing Fortnite. But you say that, although what we've seen with Star Wars movies is if you feel you've got other bits that you've left unanswered, you can do it as a special <laughs> edition later on because actually what you really needed out of this film was, mm. was another 15 minutes of Cantina Band. <laughs> singing i am up for that okay if jj abrams wants to go back and re-edit that film let him out let him have it i feel it's coming i feel that we, we will one day have you know the, the theatrical <laughs> and the the you know the snyder cut of um uh of uh rise of skywalker uh and they will probably be available on disney plus speaking <laughs> of disney plus uh, Grace Randolph uh, reported this week at Grace Randolph on Twitter and beyond the trailer on YouTube. Um, she's been hearing from sources that Disney is really considering uh, walking back on its decision of making Black Widow and Mulan um, theatrical releases and putting them on streaming. Uh, mm -hmm. Firstly, to download or own, uh, rent or own, then after a while, switching them to Disney Plus. Um, Speculation is that part of this is because China have recently closed their cinemas again after opening them for a very, very short amount of time. Um, so there is a, a, a congestion of uh, products that they have to release. If you're talking about six months before everything goes back to normal, and even then, mm. are people going to want to sit in a dark room really close to lots and lots and lots of people? Is it going to be a few years before the cinema industry really kind of rebounds in full force? Um, so that's one of the things that, that Grace says is beyond the thinking of this. The other is that Onwards has been performing really, really well on streaming devices, um, has been number one for a good few weeks now. Uh, so it's making a lot of money on uh, purchase and uh, streaming. Um, it's expected that the price point for Black Widow and Mulan could be higher, partly because uh, they didn't have a theatrical run, even if it was a truncated run like Onward had, and partly because um, there is likely to be, to try and soften and sweeten the deal on this, there's likely to be some sort of kickback to the cinema uh, mm. business model um, because they don't want to turn their back on cinema they just don't want to have to wait for cinema to uh, get itself together. Um, and with Eternals and Doctor Strange both due still this year, um, you can see why they might want to start moving the products and the slates through, plus the TV shows scheduled to align. You can see why they might want to start moving the, the, the films uh, through before losing their windows completely. Uh, really interesting piece. I, I advise everyone to go and see the um, uh, the information that Grace Randolph has put together. Really interesting arguments available on our Twitter at Geeking in Pod. Um, see what you think. Hmm. 
I wonder if it's got anything to do with the sort of controversy of the actress uh, for Mulan uh, tweeting sort of pro-China things. Uh, so I know there was a lot of uh, I don't know, online movement about, uh, you know, boycott the film and all of that stuff. I don't know how much they take out seriously. What really interests me is will they be actually making their money back? Because presumably anyone who wants to get Disney Plus has gone and got Disney Plus. I don't, you know, you've got enough of a back catalogue of stuff that everyone and their mother has bought it. Is yep. adding Mulan and Black Widow onto it going to get you enough extra subscriptions to make that worthwhile? And similarly, how much? I wonder how much money you're getting off the kind of the rental and buy of of services compared to actually sticking it in a film. Yeah, sorry, sticking it in a cinema because this could change the nature of budgets for movies. I think you're right, but I think the big part on that is if you're talking about um, summer of last year, for instance. Mm. If you're talking about cinema versus straight to streaming for rental and because it would have a period of uh, rental or purchase before it goes on to Disney Plus. So let's say that's two months, um, which which on the grand scheme of of time is is nothing. But, um, you know, would give that window of, you know, Black Widow, for instance, you're more likely to go and watch it because you'd wait for two months and it'd be out everywhere. so if you were talking about a direct comparison between the theatrical profits versus that this time last year, you're absolutely right. I guess the, the, the argument is at this point, it is making zero dollars and zero cents for you. Um, In fact, it's costing you money because you're about to have to redo all of the advertising campaigns Mm -hmm. again with another date. And are you going to have uh, a billion dollar box office in the cinema is there a billion dollars worth of people who want to go and sit in a cinema after the pandemic yeah is it that marketing is a really good point as well because you know roughly it's estimated you spend the same amount of marketing on a film as you do developing uh, yeah. making the film itself which is pretty pretty insane when you think about it so it's, have to do that again and i know that you've, yeah. you've got the products but you know all your yeah. billboards need to come down and go up with new dates all your, mm-hmm. your trailers have to be recut with new dates. Your TV time has to be rebought. And that then, you know, how, how, how certain are you if, if you've pushed this back by three months? How certain are you that, that you know, cinemas reopened at that point? I mean, you know, broadly, when, we, when we've talked about this before, you know, I'm, I'm really for getting stuff onto streaming straight away. I, you know, I think, uh, I think simultaneous releases with, with cinemas and, and streaming services would be fantastic because, um, and it would just kill piracy entirely, I think, or, or mostly uh, uh, because a lot of it is just about access. Yes. I mean, you know, there are films that I want to watch but just can't because you know, two two young children who are knocking were knocking on the door earlier. <laughs> um, uh, so, so I, yeah, I, to me that makes sense, and and cinemas changing, and, and films are changing, and, and also our devices at home are changing, and we've got amazing sound systems and big screens and things like that, and you know there can be a plea from filmmakers to say, you know, please don't watch this on the back of your Apple uh, Apple Watch while you're cooking, you know, do you give this some time. Yeah. Um, but apart from that, I think yeah, I, I think it makes sense. I. And I'm glad they're moving towards this. I, I think there's an interesting thing about price point because you can put it as a higher price point because, um, and you, you're probably going to get more money out of that because um, 
we would go to the cinema together. So you and I, for instance, have seen many a film together. We have gone with me to watch films, sometimes multiple times. Um, we are unlikely, because of the lives we live, we're unlikely to get together around one of our houses to watch Black Widow for the first time or Endgame for the first time, whatever else. We're more likely to watch it ourselves and then talk about it. So you know, that, that fear of putting it onto a streaming service means that, you know, I've got five people around the TV and I paid for it once. I don't think works, in, especially not in the, the, the no. quarantined pandemic mm-hmm. society that we're currently in, which is why you have to geek in. Um, so, you know, you can charge a little bit more knowing that people will pay that, especially when you do the, the, the basic kind of um, uh, free economics element of, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's costing you, you know, 30, 30 pounds instead of, you know, 18 for a cinema ticket, 15 for a cinema ticket. However, you don't have to travel. You can watch it, yep. you know, whenever you wish to. Um, you can watch it multiple times in a window if you're renting it. You can watch it multiple, multiple times if you've bought it. Um, you're saving money on snacks and drinks because you're not paying cinema prices for any of that. So there is uh, like an economical kind of argument you can wrap around it. Um, and then you could always do a theatrical release later down the line for that kind of purist element. Um, maybe with, with deleted scenes, maybe with extra cuts, maybe with something else. Um, yeah. And that would would kind of reinvigorate and go through again. Um, as long as those extra cuts aren't things I was intentionally holding back to hope to give you at the cinema release, you know, you need to give us the film when you give it to us. Uh, yeah, and I mean, the big one about Marvel there is, you know, do you hold back the, and I don't think you can, but do you hold back the mid and post credit scene? Yeah. Um, so that they go back to the cinema to buy that. But the problem is, again, when's that going to be? And, and how much do you want to blow out your TV production, your cinema production? You know, Marvel's got a film slate for the next however many years. And all of that slides on mm-hmm. a year, maybe, eight mm-hmm. months, maybe, 10 months, maybe. Um, that's a lot. So it, it's interesting. It's interesting that it's picking up a lot of pace. You know what I would appreciate with films now being, you know, streamable films? is directors to think about, hey, this is a good point at which you can pause it and go to the toilet. Now you can you can't have an intermission during a film in a you know in the cinema because a whole cinema empties. And, and I've been in cinemas in other countries where they do have intermissions and they're just really randomly jammed into films. Yeah. Yeah. Um and and then everyone goes goes to get you know go to the toilet and get popcorn all at the same time and it's it's a massive mess. But actually at home it would be great. It would be great because the problem with the communal watching at home for me is, you know, at some point someone will go, oh, yeah, I just, I'm just going to make another cup of tea. Can you pause it, please? Uh, no, we're all on pace. We're all watching this, at a, you know, at a certain thing. If we know there's a point coming, actually, yes, at one hour, there is a point where you can hold on and you can go go, go get a cup of tea. Great. Do that. Uh, just like, you know, TV shows have their acts. Be really clear. This is when one act ends. This is what, this is your refresher moment. You can go have a break. So I remember something coming out on Twitter about the points in Endgame where you could run to the toilets because between these minutes, you know, you don't miss anything big. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, and you could do on 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 streaming, you know, a little dot that says you can pause this and take a breath or something. Yeah. Um, fade to black for a couple of seconds, something like that. Yeah. And you know, if if like me, it takes you seven attempts to watch the Last Jedi, it'd be great to know. Yeah, just hold on for another minute; it'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, you know, Last Jedi is fairly easy. Just pause, pause any point that Canto Bite comes up. Um, <laughs> just don't come back to it. <laughs> And then skip. Uh, yeah. <laughs> good. Right. That's that's all the news that I found for us to talk about. Um, uh, some interesting stuff going on. I think what we should talk about next is um, the Picard series finale. Mm. Um, so uh, this is... Um, going to be the point where I input a spoiler alert. Um, so uh, I'm going to count down three, two, one. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. So I feel everyone there should now have uh, had enough warning. Um, so two decades after Commander Data's demise, after the next generation finishes and following the destruction of the Romulan star system and withdrawal of Federation support for its evacuation, Jean-Luc Picard and Starfleet separated for reasons that have never been made public by either party. Until now, Picard has been having recurrent dreams in which, his, uh, in which he interacts with Data. One of these recalls a painting Data titled Daughter. A mysterious young woman named Dai uh, comes to Picard for help, and he discovers that she has a biological synthetic created by Dr. Bruce Maddox based on Data's positronic brain, making her Data's daughter. After Dai is murdered by a secret society of Romulans who believe that she is prophesied as the destroyer of all of life, Picard learns that she has a twin sister. He makes it her mission to find her and to preserve the legacy of his old friend. Ten episodes wrapped up last Friday. T, tell me about Picard. So I loved the series overall. I loved it from its very first second, I think it was, uh, if not from the first first ten seconds. And a lot of that is, you know, my love of TNG spilling over. Um, so I have a friend who would not seen any of TNG, uh, so she's watching Picard just uh, fresh. Um and so it's always interesting to talk to her about, you know, her views on, on actually what's working for you, especially when you think about, um, say, when he visited um, Riker and Troy on the planet. You know, yeah. I remember thinking, yes, that's exciting for me. And is that going to work for anyone else? And so straight away after after she'd seen that, she said, no, no, you could feel, you could feel the relationship they had. You could feel actually this is a powerful moment. And it made her want to go back and watch all of TNG, um, including the first couple of seasons, which which can be a bit of a slog. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> of any Star Trek show in general, to be fair, I mean, I've been to recent ones. Oh, of quite a lot of series, actually. You know, it takes it takes a little while for people to find their rhythms, and Star Trek is no different to that. But uh, it's definitely not alone in that. I suppose Star Trek got you know seven seasons per, so they had the time to kind of trial it out and get those. A lot of series die at that point, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, a fan of it all, all the way through. Not a fan of the finale, I'm afraid. 
Yeah, it was. Um, I don't know. It felt it felt so different from the rest of the show. It, it just felt. Yeah. Oh. Well, let's, let's let's go through it. The, here, here, here are some of the things that really, really bothered me. <laughs> Uh, the make it so throwaway, I just thought, oh God, no, that's ridiculous. You've not said it for the whole 10 episodes. Give him the line. That's insane. You know, you've held on to Avengers Assemble until the last film. Say it right. But no, the, the thing that just I just can't get past is why on earth did they X-Men 3 him? Why on earth... You know, this kind of ridiculous concept of, oh, he's dead, but no, we've put him in another body. Oh, but it's a mortal body. He'll be fine. No. And Patrick Stewart has done that in another film. How weird that he's done this same weird, shitty concept of death, but not dead, but my mind is in another body, but also it's a mortal body, so I'm still alive and my death is meaningless. And now I'm also a robot. And even his sort of health condition, the kind of the the brain, not aneurysm, the... um, I forgot what they called it. Abnormality. Abnormality. Yeah. No, he's got a heart thing. We know that. He's got a he's got an artificial heart. Play off of that. Where did this have to come from out of nowhere? So Yeah, and I so I think I, I think that was so to to those points before we go any further. Um make it so didn't bother me hugely because he got engaged. Yeah. Um so, for me, engage was the the Avengers Assemble line. Mm. Um, uh, even though he was driving it himself, so he did, he's talking anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah. So for me, that was that was that bit. Um, yeah, the, the 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 brain aneurysm and therefore abnormality and therefore downloading his consciousness into the golem that they'd kind of set up a couple of, you know, you could see it coming from when the abnormality started uh, playing up at the, 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 the most inopportune moment. Um, it became a little bit choreographed. That was what they were going to do. I, I'm with you, you know, knowing the history of, of the heart. One of my favorite episodes is, is, you know that point where he has the uh, Q takes him back and gives him the option of not having that fight and, yep. um, and not getting stabbed through, and he becomes you know this shell, this this data analyst who 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 Riker and Troy tell him he will never be command grade because he's just too safe; he doesn't take any risks. Um, uh, so goes back and and gets stabbed and laughs at the knife coming through, um, you know, and, and it's referenced in the thing because when he meets. Troy and Riker's daughter. He says, you know, if you're going to aim for that, you need to aim for my head because my heart's whatever, duro, firm, steel, whatever. So it's reference. So you could quite easily have that fail. You could have him have that replaced with a synthetic heart, which could mean that data is with him because data is his, yep. you know, in essence, the science that's his heart that keeps his heart beating. Mm-hmm. To give him this body that a- looks like, ages like, has no superpowers, has no nothing, felt a little bit of a weird, not really a payoff outcome. Not at all. Right. So you got all of that. You got yes. Data's death, which, I mean, look, I love Data. 
and this is what the second time that data's really died, I suppose. Um, neither time did it have the impact it should have had. You know, is it not Insurrection uh, Nemesis? Maybe it was. Yep. Yeah. You know, horrible film to slog through. And, and, you know, to be honest, I'm just glad that film was over. Um, and again, here, you know, you suddenly brought him back to kill him. And it just, no, no, it, it wasn't enough because I hadn't seen him enough running through. And especially having Brent Spiner around as his own brother. So you kind of got the actor playing the role. It really took away from a lot of that for me. Um, and it, I didn't feel the loss that I really should have felt. I remember, so, I mean, you mentioned Bruce Maddox, so going back to sort of Measure of a Man, where that moment where um, Riker just flicks Data switch off. Um, so this is this is the episode where um, uh, Bruce Maddox is in Next Generation and, and the introduction of the character, and he's arguing that um, Data is just technology, he's not a person, he doesn't have those rights, and we should be able to disassemble him and, and study him. And Riker has to fight the case for him, for, so against Data. And he just proves his point, but it's going up to Data and flicking a switch on his spine, and Data just shuts down and collapses on the table. And that was so impactful. And this was just kind of nothing. And uh, mm. yeah, so I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't hate it, um, but it didn't, it didn't make my lip quiver, and I felt it should. Yeah. Um, I mean, how long have we been watching TNG for? This is a character he's a character we've known and loved for so many years and really loved. That's the other thing. This isn't kind of a side character. This is Commander Data. This is my Spock, you know? And and I felt that um, uh, Picard should have been more conflicted with it. Yes. And I also feel that there should have been more of an argument from Dr. Sung about, you know, we've used his data to save you. Well, that's, that's going to suck for you because I'm about to turn him off. There wasn't any conflict of, well, no, no, that, this is, this is our data. This is my link to my father, my link to my brother, my link to all of this brilliance that we've, we've desperately tried to replicate. What do you mean? We're going to switch him off. Mm -hmm. Right. And the last thing that really bothered me about this was Riker turning up, captaining the flipping flagship of the Federation. What? Hang on. So the flag, the cap, oh, God. I mean, look, you know, I can suspend my disbelief with a lot of stuff, but I also kind of know the rules of, of, uh, of, of the Star Trek world, of, of the Federation. So, so they then flew the flagship over to Riker's planet, beamed him up, said, I'm going to step down so you can be captain for a bit, even though you've been in retirement for so long, and you go lead this massive mission. Yep. What? I said that's the last thing. That wasn't the last thing, incidentally. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot wrong with this episode. What the hell was Picard's plan? Right? In fact, what was the Federation's plan when they were building this when they could see this tower building and they could see this signal was coming through. And actually, if Picard doesn't succeed in convincing, convincing this person not to do it, humanity as we know it, you know, um, sentient life as we know it in the universe is going to end, in the galaxy is going to end. And so they decided, no, no, we'll just let the old man talk to the girl down there. Is that really what they went with? No. Bomb, bomb just the planet. Use a phaser to just get the, um, get the tower out. Knock it out. 
it's really bizarre. I understand for a story why they did it and the arc that it created, but just in terms of saving the universe, that is far too risky a strategy. Uh, yeah, I agree. It's 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 um, there was a lot of well, that's fortunate in this mm-hmm. one, um, which I I always feel is a little bit sad and a little bit lazy in the sense of you you suddenly get things that you're leaning on like um well that's fortunate that the the ship can replicate itself a million times to a version of the picard maneuver um which which this doctor not a military not a starfleet officer a a doctor of 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 uh engineering and a doctor of of ai knows about um uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was all, and it's it, it's just fortunate that we managed to get the final shots of the um, the murder uh, from the recording from the the woman who was murdered as as the I can't remember his name, the Romulan escaped, mm-hmm. um, and it just so happens that we got to see her sister do it because I mean she'd know that she'd know that that's what would happen why would she yeah risk that yeah. um so it, it was all a little bit coincidental at points for me um and, and there's a certain amount of that i will forgive you know the the timing of the the artifact coming through you know hugely lucky um the timing of the the federation arriving just at that moment hugely lucky um but yeah, just just all a little bit kind of like, well, that's that's isn't that lucky. I mean, what did the Federation do? All meet up at a certain point and then jump to where the Rom- jump, then warp to where the Romulans were, because they did land at the exact same time. Yes, um, so they all exactly have the same speed, and they all left at exactly the same time, and they all got there just at the right moment. Um, and it took the Romulans hours to get there, and mm-hmm. it took. Picard and the gang hours to get there, and that was even going through the Borg um, wormholes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Also, I mean, this is a, it's this wouldn't have taken it away from me, but the Federation ships all looked exactly the same. Do you know what? I I, I know I sound like a spoiled brat saying about this, but one of the things I've always loved and the discovery Star Trek discovery battle in the first few episodes for me showed this was the uniqueness of the Star Trek ships. Yeah. And some of them I think are beautiful and some of them I think are ugly. I've got a real hatred. I don't know why of single engine ships. They all <laughs> yeah. look as if they're about to fall over. Um, yeah. But the fact that I could not tell one ship from the other, the mm-hmm. fact that none of them were given any kind of identification other than this is the flagship and the toughest, you know, just tell me it's the USS Ulysses, the USS whatever, you know, give, oh. give me some kind of, you know, ability to know that I'm looking at that ship rather than that ship or that ship or that ship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they all looked just exactly the same. And, and maybe if I if I watched it with a greater eye and paused it and went back and looked at it. You know, they just looked exactly the same model. Someone had kind of done one basic looking starship and went, ah, that's close enough. That looks dark. Yeah. yeah. It felt like the, 
it felt like the Romulan warbirds had more variants in them. It looked like there were two or three different models of warbirds. All of the Federation starships looked exactly the same. Do you remember the the last scene of season five of DS Nine, where yes. they they uh, they evacuate? I think they evacuated DS Nine, and it was all the starships there. Yep. And that was just epic. It was just they all looked different, and you could pause and you could see it. And there was the Galaxy Class, a couple of those ones that you could spot, and you just yeah. you knew a couple so of the older ones, the Excelsior yeah. style, and the Defiant had a very there. different look, so you could see the Defiant going through and and you know taking shots and all that. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. And, and, you know, the rise of Skywalker, that scene where everyone comes through and avoiding all of the issues I have with that moment um, to your left, that scene where they all mm. came through, the fact that you can, you can sit there and kind of go, that looks like the ghost and that looks like mm. a hammerhead and that looks like the Millennium Falcon. And that looks like, you know, you can go through every single one of those ships and see it. it's a different thing. Yeah. Compared to this, where it's just kind of, you know, we've got to a point where every ship looks the same. Yeah, it just doesn't make me excited about the the universe. There, it doesn't make me excited about what's really going on. You know. Also, no. the Federation are heroes again. I liked. I liked that. You know, Insurrection was such an exciting title for a start. So, so after after First Contact, the next Star Trek film was Insurrection, and it was exciting because a First Contact was an amazing film. And B, wow, we're going against the Federation. Federation are going to, you know, I didn't know what the word meant. I remember looking it up, going, oh, insurrection, big And of course, it was nothing. It was nonsense. It was one admiral being a dick. Um, and, you know, yes. in Star Trek, admirals are dicks. Um, so here, actually, actually, the Federation being assholes, actually, the Federation giving up on Romulus, all of that stuff was really powerful. Picard leaving the Federation because of that, uh, leaving Starfleet because of that was amazing. And now they've just sort of turned up as the heroes and it turns out the Romulans were baddies in the first place so it was all alright and justified and the Federation good and all other species bad. Which really? which means that Picard shouldn't have helped them when their planet died? Uh, uh. It just it didn't line up with anything else in this series. This series had so much promise in its build up and it had a direction it was going in. It was it was the last Jedi and then we had Rise of Skywalker to end it. Yeah. Um Yeah, um and, and again a, a weird complaint, I know this, but um uh I was quite disappointed with the the, the the cyber, the, the the AI enemy, when it came through, <laughs> yeah. I I don't understand why it's a snarling, yeah, kraken style tentacle monster. I can't believe we've had another another thing with a beam shooting up into the sky and that being the enemy. <laughs> God, I can't take any more of these. I mean, you know, it's it's. Uh, I'm I'm as big a fan as you know Lovecraft, Cthulhu as anyone, but you know something that isn't just a giant squid coming out would be, yeah, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> and again, I, a real chance to do callbacks to other things. 
you know, they could have had, it, it could have seemed a bit like the Borg. You could, you could have thought, oh, God, was that the origin of that? It could have been a something that felt like something else for another species. It didn't feel like anything. No. Um, yeah, no, 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 no explanations to why if this was this destructive force that only wanted to destroy for reasons that make no sense. Um, why did it go away after it had been here? If all of this had happened again, it, it, yeah. So it was. It was. I mean, it, it was. It was a, a good series. Um, it felt a little bit flat because it had to be the heroic ending. Everyone needed to be. Yeah, every arc needed to pay off. Everyone needed to kind of you know find their kind of zen to go again. Um, what are your predictions for series two? Well, firstly, I wasn't sure there would be a series two. Actually, it did. It did feel kind of conclusive. Um, thinking back as to when this started, so Patrick Stewart famously he went to meet with the creators of the show to, to politely say no. He thought it's appropriate that I go and just tell them in person. Actually, I don't want to do this. And then they talked through story ideas, and he massively influenced the story um, to to what it was. Uh, so, you know, it felt like a collaborative process and it feels like something where they're changing as they're going. So hopefully they'll take some learning from some of this and take it in a different direction. I don't want this to go and be discovery. It doesn't need to be the action packed thing. I mean, I would have been quite happy with just Picard staying in his vineyard the whole time. <laughs> you know, that <laughs> to me is a great show. Give me the philosophical stuff. Give me that side of Star Trek because you've got discovery that's giving me the action and that's brilliant too. Uh, give me the real moral dilemmas. Give me the real big questions that that need to be asked. That's what I want from from Captain Picard, and in, and that's what I want from the Picard show. Um, there were a lot of really cool moments, I think, during this show where uh, you know the bridge crew sort of formed and changed and formed and changed, and you know when it when his, his young samurai apprentice came on board, and when Seven of Nine came on board, and there's like great shots of right. This looks like the bridge crew now, and this looks like the bridge crew now. Um, I don't necessarily need that stability. That's okay. Give me something to think about. You know, give me the allegories for for real life. This is what you know. Good Star Trek is. This is what good sci-fi is. You know, ask the questions that we're not really asking. That's yeah. what I want. What do I think for for series two? Probably more of the same. So it'd be interesting. I, I think that. Um... So series two is being written as we speak. Um, and I, I, I knew, know one of the, the cameos that's being one of the, 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 the guest spots that's been um, confirmed for it. Um, is it Q? Is it John Delancey? I, no, I've not seen that one. I, I hope, I hope that Q comes back. I, I, was, no, I was hoping that Q I, came back. I have in not seen, I've not seen any, but, that's the only other person I now want to see. I'm not interested in sort of, you know, Geordie turning up or Will Wheaton turning up. <laughs> I, I feel I want to tell you this because, um, I mean, there's no, there's no story point to this. So I don't feel this is a, a spoiler. It's, it was done on, on television, so it's fairly out there. And it's so sideways that I want to get your reaction to it. Go on. Um, so, um, uh, Patrick Stewart went on, um, The View 
in America. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wow. Dynamite. To, yeah, to, to <laughs> personally invite <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg to reprise her role as Guinan in the second series. So that's fun. That's okay. That's like Seven of Nine. Well, no, Seven of Nine should have been more impactful and that should have been a Lacutus and Seven conversation. But no, Guinan is fun. That's great. That's a laugh. A wink and a nod. That's fine. Um, I liked, I, I quite liked Seven of Nine in, in, in Picard. I thought she had quite a good, I, I thought she had some quite good beats. I thought she had quite a good emotional kind of moments in it. Um, I really liked in uh, part one of the, the two-part finale was you know, that point of her plugging herself back into the collective that and was using really the, 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 um, the drones. And, you know, she's got this real kind of like philosophical, theological kind of, you know, so what? I just assimilate, assimilate them again. And what, then what happens? Well, you let mm-hmm. them go. What, what if I don't want to? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I want to. You know, that, that real kind of threat of, you know, what if I plug myself back in, almost that addict kind of thing of, yeah. you know, I've, I've, done, I've done very well to pull myself away from this abusive relationship. And what if I plug myself back in? Would I, will I be strong enough to pull myself away again? Mm. Um, I really liked that. Um, Especially as the queen now being on the other side of that. Yeah, mm. yeah. Uh, so yeah, I thought that was quite interesting. But um, yeah, no, it's it's a it's a very kind of throwaway cameo for me. Yeah. He's yeah. What what one more complaint I think is is I think you know Seven's big showdown with. The we're having the female villain fight the female hero and have, oh, just, yeah, come on, really. You, Seven's big moment was unplugging. You're right, was unplugging from the from the cube itself, unplugging from the new little collective she created. That was the win, and we could have had a lot more of that. Yes, a lot of that internal conflict. Not a bit. Of it. Uh, I believe so. I mean, I, I so what would you rate uh, the series as a whole, start to finish? Series one of Picard, what would you rate it? <clears throat> I would give it a solid four out of five. It's not bad. It's not yeah. bad. Four or five, you know, ending sucked. That's, you know, I think I'm quite good at sort of compartmentalizing bits I don't like. <laughs> I can almost not think about the ending. <laughs> Which is why we've got you um, counselling B about uh, Game of Thrones Series 8. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think I'd agree. I, 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 There were points in this I really loved. Um, there were points in this that it gave me that I didn't really know I wanted, like Hugh back for a little while and things like that. Um, I, I got lost in the story a little bit now and again because it was all a little bit kind of weird. It, the pacing for me felt strange over the episodes. Um kind of burst into life after the last few um like uh, suddenly like, oh shit we've got to get to here by then um it's episode seven and we need to be in corellius by episode nine go yeah um so we're just going to ask someone where this planet is and they're going oh yeah it was that one uh which no one else in the galaxy could work out even though they had the same description mm-hmm Two moons, thunderstorms. Oh, it's there. Okay. Um, so yeah, it was. It was. Um, yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it, it was bad. It wasn't great. 
the ending, but as a whole, I, I quite liked it. It was going to always to be difficult to wrap that up. I think if it had done a few things differently, it wouldn't have that kind of feeling at the end. So mm. if, if he hadn't been moved into a, an, an AI body for reasons, um, then I, you know, that in itself might kind of soften it. If, 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 you know, he hadn't had again, this, this one-to-one with data, data telling him he was dead. Yeah. You know, that there were a couple of points. If you took out a couple of points, then you probably could have forgiven some of the others. It's just a culmination, I think. But there we go. So next week, I think what we need to do, hopefully with the returning B, is look at what will be at that point, the halfway point of the UK release of The Mandalorian. Mm. Uh, We've not talked about this yet, apart from, you know, pulling out kind of references of certain things. And I think there's more of those I can do with you from next week after episode four. Um, I think uh, this is... uh, uh, going to be a good conversation um, and um, uh, we'll talk through some of the, uh, the the guest stars and cameos as well because some of the people there are fantastic but we'll do that next week with B returning because I know B has views on Mandalorian on um, Stormtroopers and on the child um, and, and the child's origin uh, so we will close this week's uh, exciting episode of Geeking In, um, as we always do, with some recommendations. Uh, T, what you got to recommend this week? Well, having talked about um, Snyder and the Snyder Cut and Justice League, I was thinking about Justice League comics that I really liked. And this is an unusual one. There's a, there was a comic that came out called uh, Justice League Elite. So... JLA 100, issue 100 of JLA, ended with this, um, it was a strange issue uh, written by Joe Kelly, who'd been doing a few issues up to that point, uh, at which point um, this sort of Black Ops team came up and had to pretend to be the villains so they could get Earth to unite um, uh, and all fight together and stop fighting each other, which then caused the spirit of the Earth, Gaia, to heal itself. It all got very strange and complicated and a lot of fun. What was really fun is spinning off of that was this 12-issue miniseries. Um, so this is sort of 2004-2005, um, written by Joe Kelly, um, called the Just League Elite. And they were this sort of um, crazy black ops team that would just do the stuff that the Justice League couldn't. They had members uh, that were still in the league. So you, you had um, the Flash, uh, Wally West's Flash there. Uh, and you had Green Arrow joining them as well. Um, and it's just a really fantastic, like, dark take. Um, I mean, still good guys, but they're fighting kind of um, intergalactic drug smuggling. And it's one sort of story throughout, you know, in the 12 issues, but it's it's like nothing else you, you'll have read, especially what we would have read back then. Um, uh, uh, there's a few sort of earlier issues of comics, so there's a few action comic issues that could lead into it. But I think you'd be very comfortable just picking up uh, JLA 100 and then Justice League Elite 1 through 12 uh, available on two different uh, uh, two different volumes um, massive recommend from me, um, I've been I've thumbed through my monthly issues of those so often that a good few of the issues have fallen apart and I'm actually looking to buy <laughs> trades looking to buy the trades now just to have them in kind of one place 
Um, and this is when I'm moving to mostly digital comics anyway. I still want those because I like flicking through those pages. A very good recommendation. Um, interesting. It sounds a little like what X-Men did with X-Force of that kind of, you know, the missions that you couldn't put the, the, the proper team on. Um, it, it, it is actually, but it isn't. It isn't oh, I don't, almost don't want to give too much away about it. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't. Yeah. Um, it is, but it isn't. Is is a good hook for people to go and find out themselves, as I will. Um, I, too, am inst- inspired by the Snyder Cut and by the Trevaro version of um, the Jewel of Fates. Um, and uh, my recommendation is available on Amazon Prime, and it is Doomed, the untold story of Roger Corman's The Fantastic Four. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, there was a Fantastic Four film made um, with just the express purposes of they needed to put out a film so that the rights didn't uh, revert back to Marvel. Um, so it was an incredibly hastily put together film um, uh, done by, interestingly, you know, it was, it was linked to the people at the Troma Films Company who did Toxic Avenger and things like that. Um, to try and just, you know, make sure that the film rights didn't revert back um, and they had time to consider what they wanted to do. Um, A brilliant, brilliant film. Um, An amazing story, both of the film, of the film of the film. Um, And, uh, you know, just absolutely incredible. And and watching how how they have become... uh, stars for a film that never really came out uh is is definitely definitely worth a watch um fantastic four has never been done right interestingly some of this looks as if it's the closest to a fantastic four story uh that you would actually see so it's uh really really worth watching um they played so on this in a, on arrested development didn't they i think season four Three or four, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you may have remembered it from there. Yeah, it it really, really is just definitely worth watching. It's, it's amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, the guerrilla photography, the uh, videography that they needed to do in certain bits because they just didn't have time to get the permits and they didn't have the money to. Just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Definitely worth a, a check out. The stories are incredible. Um, and it does kind of, again, you know, it's one of those that you almost wish you'd seen. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe. Jay, did you say that was on Netflix or Prime? Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. Brilliant. It's where I've watched it multiple times. <laughs> um, and that brings this week's episode to a close. Um, uh, B had some uh, thoughts about... Um, Picard that I would have uh, I will have found a spot to uh, seamlessly drop in uh, and if I haven't then I will drop them in here yeah Picard was pretty emotional um, I guess we all knew that it was going to become a um, you know there's going to be a Picard mark 2 somewhere along the line and that was quite clear during part 1 and that was the only way around it I suppose um it would have been better, I think. You know, let's call it an end. Um, 
Let's see Picard go down fighting as he as he always does, never gives up, always finds a way, saves the day. It's quite fun to see Riker turning up at the end though. Uh saving the day. <laughs> Yay, number one. Uh get well soon, B. Um and we will be back with you next week. Uh in the meantime, if you want to continue the conversation, if you want to see any of the stuff we've been talking about, check out our Twitter or Instagram, uh, Geeking In Pod. And if you want to get in touch, either Twitter, Instagram, or email us at geekinginpod at gmail.com. Until then, uh, this is T and J saying, in a world where you can't geek out, geek it. Speak to you next week. Adios.